Got the record going. We are doing it. Playlist shuffle. Here we go. Don't do me dirty. Do me nice playlist. Welcome to the Grip Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Sky Osborne. Talking again this week with Leah Graham. Happy to have her back. We'll be calling her here in a second. Going to go ahead and get through all my formal shit. Uh, you can follow the Grip Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher. Um, believe that's it. Um, I always say if you do not see the podcast in your search on your streaming service, uh, DM me and uh, I'll see what I can do to fix that. You can follow us on Instagram at uh, the Grip Podcast and uh, Facebook the Grip Podcast and on Twitter at Matthew Sky Oz under my profile. Um, get your Be Humane wristbands. I'm wearing them right now. Got a black one and a white one. And the point of the the Be Humane wristband is to spark conversation with people. People see the wristband, they ask you, what's that? What does that mean? And you say to them, whatever your Be Humane issue is. Could be police brutality, civil rights, affirmative action, animal cruelty, uh, gun laws, gay rights, global warming. It doesn't have to be one thing. It could be a number of things. And just be a conversation starter. These are uh, $5. You can get them on my website at S-K-Y-E-N-T dot L-I-V-E. Uh, $5, $1 shipping. Six bucks total. If you know me, hit me up in person. I'll get you one for $5 without the shipping. Um, this is episode 20. 526, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is episode 25. This week we're going to talk about um, the park, and the, not the Parkland shooting, but the um, New Zealand shooting. Um, I said Parkland because you'll see why here in a moment. That's on my brain. Um, let me see here. Yeah, the New Zealand shooting, xenophobia, fear of difference. And we're going to see if we can make some sense about this. If you heard my um, other brief seven-minute segment, I think two episodes ago, you'll see how I feel about this. So... 
We'll go ahead and call Leah. If you were jamming that song, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just abruptly ended that. Hey. What's up, Leah? <laughs> Not much. What's up with you? Not much, man. I missed you. <laughs> I missed you, too. It's been a little while. <laughs> I missed you. <laughs> I missed you, buddy. <laughs> missed you. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm Matthew Sky Osborne. Look at that. I called you right on the dot. I rock. Did I get it? I mean, look at the timing. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually early today. Yeah. What? what? <laughs> yeah, like what? Like 30 seconds early? Like a minute. Oh, whole minute. <laughs> I got this uh, intro thing down pretty good, I think, now. Um, I actually have a post-it note um, on my screen at the bottom, and it has the list of things I'm supposed to go through because I forget. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, I'd have to do the same thing. I'm yeah. all about lists. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd just be all over the place, and I wouldn't be consistent. This way, we get some consistency. Nice. I like it. So, yeah. 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 You're speaking my language. Speaking your language. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I didn't really say a whole lot before you came on. Um, I just said I think we're going to be talking about um, New Zealand and uh, xenophobia. Um, is that right? Yeah. And white male terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> Which is something that. They don't want to talk about. Yeah. I was just thinking right before you call, I'm like, I should probably apologize to Matt. Probably going to get some messages in your DMs over this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> over this episode. I don't know. Like, um, I'm I'm pretty, uh, I don't know what the word is. Like Tough, tough skinned. Yeah. It, it, it weighs heavy. Yeah. Um. Like people say to me, you know, uh, or I overhear conversations where they're saying things like, you know, 49 people died. Uh, they'll mention another shooting and they're like, maybe, you know, 10 people died. And I'm always like, one is too much. Yeah. In, in my opinion, <laughs> I'm like, one is a tragedy. Like one <laughs> is somebody's everything. Right. There's, I mean, and there's the, nothing else. The traumatic impact of that on yeah. so many different people. Yeah. And um, we touched on this real quick. So, like, my wife, um, she's, we, we kind of talk about this loosely, I think, where she's a white woman and she's slowly over the years kind of been coming into this realization of, like, what's really going on. Yeah. In, in the in the world in the country, and so she's having a lot of reaction to it. Sure, right, and she'll often say to me, you know, why aren't you reacting as strongly as I am? Or she'll not like in a you know in a mean or accusatory way. She's just like curious. Trying to understand, yeah. And she's like, how do you feel about this? I'm like, you know we've been experiencing not this exact thing, but we've been experiencing loss and tragedy as black people for centuries since I was like born and my mom and dad raised me to do things a certain way. So I wouldn't get killed. And that was just a way of life. Right. 
And so we've always kind of had this, like, life is unfair (laughs) and cruel and And mean. And tragic, right. Our whole life. Yeah. And part of that obvious obvious white privilege is, you know, based on where you're coming from, I'm not going to blanket all white people the exact same way, but they all experience a level of it, uh, in my opinion. So her, where she's from, she was in a cocoon, you know, like a really, like a small town. And, you know, I think they were like maybe two minorities or something so in the whole in the whole the whole town yeah it's it's, it's <laughs> they were pretty rare and she actually told me the other day they had names for them you oh, know no. like um what does she say jap for like oh. for like the japanese kid yeah and the black kid i can't remember what she said something like blackie or whatever oh, you know Lord. some bullshit yeah well it wasn't her right. nicknames it's what the kids called them Right. And it didn't really register to her until later. The last few years or so, maybe sooner. I don't know. She didn't tell me. That those were slurs. Yeah, like that's <laughs> fucked that up. Not, <laughs> <laughs> that those were not uh, terms of endearment. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I think what you're getting at is like there's a level of shock. Yeah. Right. That probably your wife and a lot of other white folks that are going through this process of understanding what's happening in this country and around the world, there's a level of shock. There's a level of processing that you're probably not doing because you started processing those things. Like you said, at birth, right. Or like (laughs) as soon as I I came out the womb, like mom, Hey, (laughs) what's going on? mean you, yeah. you were surrounded by that from exactly. the earliest years and your you know like you said your parents raised you differently to try to to try to keep you safe and try to keep you from becoming the next statistic yeah. right and so you know from from your earliest cognition right <laughs> shall i put it that way yeah. <laughs> you know and so yeah i i think i relate to both of those mm-hmm scenarios like kind of the process your wife is going through because I went through deeply that process in grad school particularly um as it pertains to like African Americans in this country but then I also like you had kind of already had a lot of I mean coming from an immigrant family and being a woman yeah, <laughs> okay. you had yeah, some know. exposure <laughs> right <laughs> right, right. Right. But, but I definitely, yeah, but I mean, I definitely went through a deep, you know, period of like having my eyes opened and kind of being shocked and horrified and, you know, all that too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to bring up too, I I know I just sent you. Yeah. I was going to ask you that about what you just sent me. I actually read it already. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, I just was last night was, um, on Facebook and saw the article about one of the Parkland, um, Parkland, Florida, right? The, the mass shooting survivors from just, what was that a year ago or not that long ago? Um, her name was Sydney Aiello and I was just reading how she, you know, had developed post-traumatic stress disorder, was dealing with survivor's guilt. You know, her mom said like, she was really struggling to go to attend her college classes because she was so terrified of, you know, the classroom is a trigger for her. Right. Right. Because she was a survivor of that shooting and she, you know, took her own life and it just, 
you know, it just like brought home, you know, I was already thinking about today talking about this mass shooting in New Zealand and, and then, you know, here's like another tragedy and, and, and it's like, it's not just, you know, I think people know this, but I think sometimes they don't really understand like the, the generational repercussions like of these types of um, tragedies. And like you said, like one person is enough, but we're not even talking about like single shootings in this country. We're talking about like regular mass shooting, mass shootings, yeah, mass shootings. And that's just become a normal term in our vocabulary, like a normal headline, you know, like, what are we, what are we doing? Um, but I just really like, obviously felt, I, I mean, I think, as a person who <laughs> has dealt with PTSD and survivor's guilt, which I'll get into that probably a little more here in a moment, you know, I just, I've been through that journey and it's hellish and I'm just, you know, I just really like felt for this woman who's so young, you know, she's, she's a teenager, all these teenagers dealing with this level of trauma and it's overwhelming and you don't know how to cope with it. And um, I don't know. So I just, yeah, it weighs heavy on you. Yeah. I, I can hear it weighs, it, yeah. it weighs really heavy. Um, like this is what we're allowing to happen to like thousands of children in this country and mm-hmm. the fallout of that. Like, do we really realize like the reaper, the, the, the repercussions for years that this country is going to face, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, because we're allowing this to happen. I don't think we do. I don't think we do. No. Um, I want to keep going into that, but I want to say real quick, because I had this thought um, right before the podcast and, and based on what you're saying now is um, not this. I don't believe this is off topic. It, it deals with suicide. Um, I've always believed that suicide is a permanent fix to a somewhat temporary problem. And what I mean by that is I'm not trying to diminish what somebody's experiencing because I've dealt with it. And yeah. I had a moment in my life where I wanted, where I was considering suicide. Yeah. And what pulled me out of that, or one of the things that pulled me out of that was this, was the guy, hey, the guy I was listening, I sent you, uh, George Pransky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things, the, one of the main things he talks about is your thinking and how people get depressed and 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 um, trapped in a moment, right? right? Thinking it's never going to change. You're always going to feel this way that you feel forever, right now. and that's the or thing. Your circumstances will always be what they are right now. Yeah, and I don't know how it was for you, but that's my understanding of what that depression feels like. It's like you're trapped in that moment. At least that's how it was for yeah. me. And like, there's no yeah, escape. Exactly. Exactly. And the thing that pulled me out of that was one really simple thing he said that planted the seed that that pulled me out of that depression and those suicidal thoughts was, um, and hopefully this helps somebody if, if you're going through anything remotely close to this, was he says how he was talking to a lady who was in a deep depression for like years. And he said, if I was willing to bet with you, I would bet that you aren't always depressed. And she's like, what do you mean? He's like, there's, I guarantee you, there's been moments where you weren't depressed. And then she was like, no, I, I'm, I know I've been living it. It's been awful. And yeah. then he's like, no, I'm willing to bet you money. And then he kind of moved on past it. I don't even know if you've listened to any of it yet, but you may have already heard this. I'm sorry, Leah, if you have. No, I, ha- I haven't. <laughs> okay. yet, <so> you're fine. <laughs> and so um, he said later on in the conversation, he saw her grin. 
And he said, wait, why are you grinning? And she's like, well, I just was thinking it's funny that a therapist would bet with his client mm. or his patient. And I thought that was funny or kind of weird. And he was like, I won. I won the bet. And she's mm. like, what do you mean? He was like, for that moment, you weren't depressed. And she was like, no, that doesn't count. That was like three seconds. <laughs> a fleeting moment. Yeah. And he was like, that's it. That's how you get out of it. And what that means um, to me and how I believe he was explaining it was if you allow yourself to just think, because I do think that people think they are in control of their thoughts and you don't have to believe me, people, you can just try it for yourself. Um, I'm not a therapist. Let me put that disclaimer out there. <laughs> so, but I, it, it, it changed my life and the thinking or the people's thinking is that they're controlling their thoughts and that they're, they're driving it. You, you can do that to some degree, but for the most part, your thoughts are happening to you and you're reacting to your thoughts. Yeah. And if you just allow yourself to just think and not worry about what it's doing or trying to jump into your thoughts or examine your thoughts, make sense out of your thoughts, just let them happen. If you let that happen, you'll naturally have different thoughts and you'll slowly come out of the depression. Because you're just allowing yourself to think. And yeah. I think the problem that people have um, when going through depression is they, they, I think they think that they have to either figure out a way out or they have to make sense of this. or They're trying to do something with the thinking. It's literally like a cut on your arm. And I'll, I'll wrap this up here. <laughs> It's like, a, it's like they, he talks about your mind is just like your body. Like, you're, like if you get a physical wound, your wound will heal itself. Mm. But if you keep picking at the wound, what's going to happen? It's not going to yeah. heal. But yeah. if you don't mess with it and just allow it to, to, to be there, it will naturally heal itself. I swear to God. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to dissect it. You don't have to get into it. When the thoughts come, let the bad thoughts come. They'll come and they'll go. Right, right, right. And over time, each time they come, it should have less of an impact on you. I definitely, you know, definitely agree that there's a like ton of truth to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it reminds me of something I read. This is not nearly as deep as what you just said, but just this kind of little quote. It was like, you've survived 100% of your worst days so far, mm -hmm. and you'll get through this one. That's awesome. You know, kind of this like hope that and this knowledge that better days are coming even if it doesn't feel like it at the moment yeah um but i think having said that you know ptsd is a whole nother beast i mean that shit jacks up your mm -hmm. thinking and your memory and your it's i mean i mean it's it's the it's statistically powerful. Yeah. I mean, statistically, there's a much higher percentage of people that have PTSD that commit suicide. I mean, it it fucks with you in a way that's beyond. I mean, usually there's depression mixed in with that, too, mm -hmm. but I think it, it messes with you in a way that's beyond, you know, depression alone or anxiety alone okay. or suicidal thoughts alone. And um, I mean, it's just a beast. I mean, it is. I, I've been through it more than once. Mm -hmm. And um but yeah, I think that like you've been through, you've survived a hundred percent of your worst days and 
Real, you know, this will get better, I think, is something I've, like, hung on to, you know? Yeah, I was just going to ask you real quick. Is there anything you wanted to share real quick about how you – not to go down a, a different path, but just in case somebody's listening, I just want to make sure that maybe we offer something. How I coped with that? Yeah, like, was there anything that you did coping? to help you work through that? <clears throat> I mean, a shitload of therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, a lot of reaching out to other people on those worst days at those lowest points when I felt like I couldn't do it. You know, just I am very lucky and grateful that I've always had a good support system around me of people that I can call and say, I'm having a super shitty day and they'll listen. And um, but I mean, even with that, it's still one of the most isolating, terrifying like things to go through because it does mess up, you know, like neurologically, it it totally changes the way your brain processes memories and you have nightmares. I mean, there's just so many elements that are not something you can control. Mm -hmm. It just happens to you. And I think that's where the helplessness part and the depression can come in is because you, you, it almost feels like, something else has hijacked your your mind or your body and you, you can't, no matter how much you fight it, you can't control it. Right. Like it's just happening to you. And, um, but like what you said, um, you know, with, with work and with therapy and well, I don't know if you said this exact thing, Mm -hmm. but it does get better. It does get better. And, you know, I think, um, that's what's helped me with, I mean, I, I developed PTSD after, you know, I, I shared on a different episode that I went through, I, I was raped a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's what it, it almost, it, it kind of helped me that I had gone through PTSD before because I kind of knew, I mean, it was still terrifying, but I kind of knew what the process looked like. And I just held on to the fact like, Leah, you found a lot of healing and relief and things eventually got better from the last time you went through this through PTSD and it's going to happen this time too. You just have to hang on, you know, and I guess that would be like, you know, if I had some advice, like just don't end it, you know, like, and there are days when it's just like, if all you did today was breathe, that's enough. You know, that's enough that, that you literally just like survived that day and, you know, it, and reach out for help, mm-hmm. you know, reach out for help and things will eventually, um, you know, get better. Um, but when you're in those, that worst part of it, it, man, you know, it can be hard. So, oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, um, I, I do think your mind has the ability to heal itself. Um, somehow that that's my take on it. And I think you see evidence of that with some people who pull through um, or maybe they're learning to, to compartmentalize. I don't know, but there is lot- light on the end of the tunnel or there. Yeah. There's, it's not over. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can rebuild and, and life can be, and will be good again. You just got to like ride it out, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, not to harp on that, um, but I do think it's important that we said something about that. I don't want to just bring up suicide and be like, yep, moving on. 
you know? No, that's really good. <clears throat> yeah. That's really, really good. Um, people deal with that, that shit. Yeah. And I think people deal with, I mean, I've been at that place before too. And I think it's really important that, that, you know, like you shared and I've shared, you know, that I think mm. there's a lot more people that have been at that spot at some point in their life or at multiple points in their lives. And I think that's another one of those issues that doesn't get talked about enough, you right, know, where people it's, it's are just like personal. It's hiding their pain. Right. You know? Right. There's a lot of stigma attached to that. Whereas I, but I think a lot more people have been at that place than admit it, you know? And so, yeah. um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I kind of wanted to, uh, um, kind of talk through just briefly my uh, in first encounters with this term xenophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we mainly want to, I think, talk about New Zealand today, but um, yeah, but what's behind that? There. You know, right? Exactly. And this is just kind of my take. I mean, I really loved the the short clip that you did the other day or a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was. Yeah. I ago. almost didn't do that. I was like, that was, that was spontaneous and emotional. <laughs> no, but I'm glad you did. I, I think you had a lot of really good things to say and it's okay to be passionate. I think we need to be passionate about these topics. These are like life and death issues. You know, we're not just talking about like just stupid shit, you know, this is like stuff that's impacting so many people's lives. So yeah. no, I thought it was really great. And, um, yeah, so um, are we good to launch into kind oh, yeah. of my, my – yeah. okay. Um, so, um, yeah, so my, my – I guess really my first encounter with this term xenophobia happened when I was living in South Africa. Um, like I talked about on a different podcast, I, I lived there from 2006 to 2008. And I'm going to kind of try to – go briefly through this part, but obviously, you know, (laughs) we'll see, Mm -hmm. we'll see how it goes. But, um, I, um, so in the spring of 2008, I was living in Pretoria in the Northern part of the country and was living on this, um, base that housed like missionaries and humanitarian workers. And I started hearing these like rumors of like, they're killing people and, people are getting like hacked to death and like people whispering in these conversations. And I was like, what is going on? And so long story short, I mean, basically what was happening are what, what they term in South Africa, xenophobic attacks, um, xenophobic violence. And it's a, this is something that happens regularly in South Africa. It's a thing kind of like mass shootings are a thing in the U S right. And and what is xenophobia? Um, Okay, yeah. So, so xenophobia is, I mean, the word literally breaks down fear of difference. Xeno is difference, phobia is fear. Um, but it also is like hatred of difference. Um, it's described as like a, a deep rooted fear of foreigners. Um, so, it, it can also relate to identity. I think it often relates to identity. So like fear of losing some, you know, some part of your identity, what be, be that racial, ethnic, religious, cultural, or fear of like losing your class identity, your class standing. Um, so, so basically how this manifests in South Africa and how it was manifesting this spring of 2008 
and you can look this, I mean, you, people can Google this, like xenophobia, South Africa, 2008. Like it was the worst um, outbreak of xenophobic violence that they'd had, mm-hmm. I think maybe ever. <laughs> um, I mean, declared a state of emergency, dispelled troops into the street for the first time since the end of, of apartheid. So, I mean, it was major, major thing. And it started very this this wave of violence started very close to where I was living, like literally a couple miles down the road. Mm-hmm. And then it just like spread throughout the country. And so basically what was happening on a little bit broader scale at that time was Zimbabwe, which is which is the country that borders South Africa just to the north, um, was going through this horrific economic collapse. Uh, it's um, it's um, described as one of the worst economic collapses in literally like the history of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, their um, currency was at like billions of percent inflation, like wow. horrible collapse. So, of course, like people can't even buy food. You know, you can't buy anything. Nobody has enough money. I mean, literally their whole economy had basically collapsed. Their money was worth nothing. And so, of course, people are like fleeing to neighboring countries, right, to, to just to try to survive, right? right? And so there was a, an influx of of migrants into South Africa from Zimbabwe, and um, since Pretoria Pretoria is in the northern part of the country, Pretoria and Johannesburg are really close to each other, two of the major cities in South Africa, and so major influx of migrants into South Africa looking for jobs and South Africans, black South Africans, which are, you know, they're already still living in this, you know, we talked about this before, like most of them are still living in poverty in these like shanty towns, very high rates of unemployment, um, just all of the, the continued effects of apartheid. Right. Which mm-hmm. had ended, but not that long ago. And of course, the effects hadn't ended when apartheid legally ended. And so, so you, you <laughs> Never know, does. so you basically <laughs> right. Right. So you basically have this group of people and I'm not defending the actions of the South Africans. Right. But you have this group of people that's already living in deprivation, <laughs> lots of joblessness, very high rates of poverty, substandard housing. You know, and then you have this like lots of new migrants coming in and and I think, you know, South Africans saw them as a threat, a threat to already scarce jobs and a threat to already scarce housing. And so they literally, you know, South Africans literally just started like telling my, you know, migrants and it wasn't just Zimbabwean. There were also, you know, Somalian migrants, some other migrant groups that were already in the country, but basically started telling them, like, if you don't leave, we're going to burn your your houses, your shacks and your businesses. And then when some people still didn't leave, then it's like, okay, if you don't leave, we're going to kill you. And that's what happened. So, um, I mean... It was pretty horrific. I don't need to go into the details of all that, but this was my first round of PTSD, (laughs) round one, Um, because at the time I knew nothing about everything I just said to you, right? Like I had all I knew at the time was 
they're killing foreigners and I was a foreigner. Right. So like, it was terrifying because I didn't under, I didn't understand the political dynamics, the, um, that it was a certain type of foreigner that these South Africans were targeting. And so it was just super terrifying. And the people I was staying with didn't want to talk about it. I think they were super embarrassed about what was happening in their country. And I think they thought, well, if we don't talk to her about it, she won't be as scared. (laughs) But instead it was the opposite, right? Like I would hear all the whispers and know Oh, people are getting killed. Oh, you know, we would have workers come into the base and they were like, we were up all night because of the violence. And, um, so anyways, um, so this, this was my first encounter with this term xenophobia. And, you know, once I came back to the States, you know, very traumatized from this whole thing over the years, as I was able to handle it, I started researching and trying to figure out what had happened when I was there, you know, obviously I knew there was a whole context. It wasn't just, Oh, people decided to kill these other people. Right. There's like gotta be a context. There's gotta be a reason. And so I started researching and, uh, and ended up, this is what I ended up studying for my grad degree. Like this was the specific thing that I studied was xenophobia in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, so then, um, move forward a little bit. Um, and I started to, as I started to study more of like U.S. history of different ethnic groups in the U.S., I started to realize like every single new group of migrants throughout U.S. history, like when I say new group, you know, like group of people that started migrating in significant numbers, right, was feared and was demonized every single time, right? (laughs) Like whether it was because of ethnicity or religion, you know, there was the whole, like when Catholic, when, when Catholics started migrating in large numbers, there was this whole like, Oh, anti-Catholicism in the U S right. And demonizing of that. Um, there was like when Irish started migrating in huge numbers, like the Irish were bad. Then there were the Chinese and they were horrible and they were taking everyone's jobs and it was yellow peril. And, um, you know, these dangerous people. And then, you know, so I started to realize like, this is a pattern, this fear of difference, this fear of foreigners was a pattern through, through pretty much, you know, U S history. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so anyways, I guess, well, and that brings us to, you know, current (laughs) times in the U S right. Where, you know, we have Trump and all of this or, or well, even before Trump, we had 9-11. And so all this like Islamophobic rhetoric and all this um, xenophobia towards Muslims, right, that they're they're all terrorists and their religion is inherently violent and all this stuff. Um, and then that same sort of thing towards Mexicans, right, like all the anti-Mexican sentiment. And so in all so I guess um you know, I started to realize these very close connections between racism and xenophobia, mm-hmm. right? That that I think in every instance where you have racism towards a group of people, there is also an element of xenophobia, uh, fear of those who are different, fear of foreigners, um, dislike of foreigners. And so um, I guess when I, you know, I hear – about 
New Zealand, <laughs> right? And what happened there, um, you know, Tarrant is the, the, the shooter or the suspected quote unquote shooter, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess at this point, the alleged shooter, but you know, whatever. I think we, it's pretty clear that he is the one, right. um, you know, he had all of this white supremacist rhetoric and these white supremacist symbols and, um, you know, he, he released that manifesto, I guess, let me back up a little bit. Right. So like he released that, what, 70 something page manifesto, right. Like a few minutes before he started these attacks. And there was a ton of white supremacist rhetoric in there, but I guess as, as someone who's, familiar with xenophobia there's a ton of xenophobic rhetoric in there too like talking about um migrants as invaders right and talking about um uh he talks about how he is an i think he described himself as an ethno-nationalist which basically i had to look that term up i'm like i feel like i should know what this means but um basically we're his nationalistic loyalties, like he sees nationality, not as like a nation state, but as an ethnic group. Right. So basically for him, it's white folks. Was it just that broad? Was it just white people? It wasn't like more specific. It was just white. I guess I didn't, I didn't read. I don't know. Yeah. It's white folks. Okay. Right. So like he was talking about non-European immigrants in Europe who are quote unquote invading his land. Right. So he lives, he grew up in Australia from what I understand was living in New Zealand, but he's seeing Europe as the homeland, his homeland, even though I don't think he ever lived there. Right. And feels this sense of rage over these immigrants who are invading quote unquote Europe because he feels that kinship with his kinship is ethnic. It's racial, right? It's with white folks. It's yeah. not necessarily specific to Australia or New Zealand. Um, and I was thinking about this, this is a little bit of a bunny trail, but I'm like, this motherfucker was an immigrant himself. He grew up in Australia, migrated to New Zealand. If I'm understanding his <laughs> yeah. background correctly, these people ahead. usually aren't intelligent. <laughs> Right. I don't laugh. Like, it's not a laughing matter. It's just like these people are anybody who values human life that way. I I don't see a high level of thinking involved in their rationale. It's like they usually end up if you listen to them like like this guy, they end up contradicting themselves in in their own sentences and the way they speak about stuff. And I'm like, it's illogical. It's irrational. (laughs) It's not consistent. I'm like, you aren't even making sense to you're contradicting yourself. Right. <laughs> Which made me think of guess who? <laughs> yeah, shit. You kidding me? Like, <laughs> and I don't know. It's just, it's weird. It's, it's weird. It's just, it's really well, weird to me and I can't make sense of it. And I don't think there is a way to make sense out of it. Um, You can't connect the dots or I haven't been able to connect the dots because I don't think they even know what they're talking about. Well, and and for me, that's why it's so important to bring in this fear element, 
like to, to talk about xenophobia because fear is, that the is connecting like a dot? primal. Is that what it is? I mean, I'm not saying it's the only thing, right? But I think it's I think it's one of the big connecting dots because fear will make you do things irrational. Right. Fear will make you. I think fear is one of the base elements that turns people into that radicalizes people. I mean, I think it's also ignorance. I think it's also a sense of superiority. I think there are other elements, but I think there's always this element of fear, right? And so I think that's why it's so important to me to bring in, right? Because these people aren't rational. They're like you said, they contradict themselves. So there has to be something. I mean, either they're just that dumb, which may be part of it too. <laughs> but but I think there has to be something that drives people to commit, right? This this crazy basically like give their life for this cause right yeah and so um so i i don't know i think fear like that emotion. what i said mm -hmm. yeah the strength of fear um and the irrationality of fear and, and and this is why you know that's why i think trump has been able to have the success that he's had right he plays on people's fears Right. Their base emotions. I, I was watching. Sorry, I'm kind of like jumping around right now, but I recently watched this um, a couple of days ago, this documentary about um, the Ku Klux Klan that was so good. And I mean, the rhetoric around the time the, there were different waves of the KKK, right? Like three different waves where the KKK was very active. But the rhetoric around, I think, the second wave of it was um, around the time of of when black when um, slavery was being abolished and the rhetoric was basically the, the fear of a black takeover, right? This this intense fear from white folks that black folks were going to gain political power, take over the U.S. and do to white folks what white folks had done to them. Right. So I think and we see I mean, you've seen that with Trump's rhetoric. Right. I mean, you see him <clears> playing <throat> on people's fears. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Or I see exactly. It. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, these Mexican, you know, rapists and and, you know, they're coming to steal all your jobs and they're criminals. Right. That's playing on people's fear. Um, And so, yeah. So. Back to Tarrant. <laughs> well, fear, like, okay, fear is such a lazy, I don't know if lazy is the right word. It's such an easy emotion, right? It's so easy, like, to be afraid of something. It's, it's, it's quick. It's, it's, it's knee jerk. It's easily, it's, yes, it's, reactional. I, I swear, yeah, I swear I think it's lazy. And I don't know how that sounds, but. Because, like, if you hear anybody intelligent talk about fear um, in any capacity, like, um, you may hear people talking about, like, um, I don't know, uh, a bad event. Don't panic. Whatever it is, like, don't panic. You panic, uh -huh. you freak out, you do something stupid. Right. Like, don't panic. Like, stop and think. And you may be able to get yourself out of whatever the situation is you're dealing with. But panic and fear, yeah. my mom always told me this, actually. She told me uh, fear or panic, I think she said something was like, it's temporary, temporarily 
or temporary insanity. Something mm. like that. She's like, it's temporary insanity. Like, you just lose your mind and you start doing weird shit. You right. Know? <laughs> okay. It's not rational. It's not thought out. And right. so. And it's often based on lies, misinformation. Yeah. It's so. I mean, it, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not trying to patronize people. But it kind no, it's, of a, like, it's a human emotion. You can't get away from it. Well, but it kind of reminds me of like little kids. How like like we're talking about Trump rhetoric or this this alt right rhetoric like it kind of reminds me of little kids you know like little kids you can tell them they're very gullible yeah you right? can tell like, yeah you tell them anything if you tell them there's a boogeyman under your bed right they're probably gonna believe you and start freaking out right, right. but it's irrational it's based on lies but I feel like so many adults continue to operate out of that same level of gullibility. And lack of questioning things that literally like a five-year-old kid operates out of. It's funny you say that. Like somebody tells you, somebody tells you Mexicans are taking over or what the fuck ever it is. And instead of like, hmm, is that really the case? Let's do a brief Google search of statistics and see what percentage Mexicans are of the actual freaking population of this country. Which is not that high. Right? Like instead of taking literally like five minutes to like question that or like question the narrative. It's like the little kid, you just start to panic and freak out. I mean, I remember this reminds me of this really long conversation I had with a ex friend of mine, um, a white male who was raised in Louisiana. And we had a long conversation about stuff like this. And that was one of the phrases he used uh, many things that he said, this was a couple years back, but he was like, Latinos are taking over the U.S. government. And I literally sat there as we were talking with my laptop and Googled percentage of Latinos in the U.S. government. And it was like two to three percent. So I literally just told him, Joseph. Oops, I just said his name. Oh, well, we're not (laughs) friends anymore. I can actually mute it if you want. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. I don't care. Joseph, it's this percentage. And then he spewed out something else. And I was like. Google, 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 Joseph, that's this. I mean, it was just like, that's how fast it is, right? If you really want to know the statistics or the information, but that's a thing, like people are not reacting to actual statistics and actual information. They're reacting out of this very gullible, irrational, primal emotion. Right. When, go ahead. I was going to say, well, okay, so there's two things about that. Um, I actually read somewhere, they don't quote me exactly on this, but I read somewhere that said most adults, or yeah, I guess adults, don't move past the high school level of maturity. Oh, um, damn. Or, so, or it's either maturity or, I think it's maturity, not intelligence. I think it's maturity. Like most people, that's like their peak, and they stay there for the rest of their life. And if you actually look around society, you see that shit. Like you see, oh, yeah, you see, everywhere. you see clicks, you, you see, you see adults all dressed like each other. Right. Um, and you see adults believing shit. That's not true. Basic right. stuff. <laughs> Basic it's, Google search. And so I, I think that's true that most adults don't move past the high school level of, of maturity. And that's how you get a lot of this bullshit. Um, the other thing about fear is it's self-validating. Right. Which makes people take such strong stances on whatever their 
fear standpoint is. Like you have like so you have the fear, whatever it is, and then people like you're able to validate it in your own mind. Right. This fear is real because I saw this thing. Right. But it's really about the way you're interpreting certain information. Exactly. It's self-validating, which it means it's not legit. Like you're not validating that fear, like you said, with actual facts or information. You're just validating it within your own mind. It's very surface level. Another, I think, term that describes what you're talking about is is confirmation bias, right? That, yes. That we've talked about this before. This is an actual psychological, I don't know if you want to call it a phenomenon. It's not, I don't know, but it's very common, right? It's mm-hmm. psychologically proven that people have these certain biases, these certain ideas, and then they take in information in a way that confirms those biases, mm-hmm. right? So like, it's kind of like what you're saying. They see kind of like they see what they want to see or right. they see things they they only see things that confirm what they already believe exactly <laughs> it's lazy um, it's it's lazy it's it's lazy it doesn't take it a is. lot of work oh well, it does it takes like well that what you like you did on google like that wasn't hard it just no. that, something beyond the fear takes a little more work that they're not willing to do for whatever reason right and I think that's why, like you mentioned earlier, this Tarrant, this New Zealand shooter, you know, the ignorance behind this. I think that's where that ignorance part comes in. Like, put in a little work to to verify whether this thing is true or not. Because more often than not, right, something is going to be... 95% lie and 5% truth or maybe a hundred percent lie. Right. But it, it's like, we're talking about people are not, not reacting to actual statistics. Okay. Like for instance, for instance, New Zealand, Brenton Tarrant, you know, supposedly enraged and terrified about this, this, you know, takeover, this invasion of, of migrants. Right. Guess what percentage of New Zealand is Muslim? Five, two, I don't know. One point two percent. (laughs) One fucking percent. Right? So, like, is that anywhere close to a takeover? What? Like, anywhere close to like an invasion? Like, you know what I'm saying? So, like, the actual level of threat, just just demographics wise. Like what level of insecurity, right? Like what does a person have to have for like what do you? Uh, like, I'm that, sorry, I can't. <laughs> that one percent of your population brings you to the level <clears throat> that you think you need to to, to, to cleanse your land <laughs> from these folks because they're they're taking over. Look. You know what? Yeah, I mean it's not even rational. It's not even. Logical. I saw this headline yesterday. I did not read the article that was talking about um, military generals do not want to send troops to the border under President Trump's declaration of emergency. First of all, because it's not happening. (laughs) Second Second of all, they're like, this is depleting our forces in areas where we need troops. Right. Mm, Yeah. And it's, it's, 
it's weird to me to watch. I'll just go here and say it. <laughs> it's it's weird to me to watch um, white men try to explain to other white men things that don't make sense. There's like this kid glove thing. It's like these they got kid gloves and they're like, well, I mean, you know, like where they use racially coded language. Yeah. Like they dance around it. It's weird. And I'm like. Just say it. Like, no, man, you're fucking nuts. It's not happening. I mean, I know there's a more professional way to say that. You know, but you can't say that in, in a business meeting or whatever. You know, um, but it's like, I hate, I hate, I see this in the media. I see it in politics for obvious reasons all the time, where I see white people talking around these issues. And, but when it's black people or it's anybody not white or even women, shit. Um, they're, they're smacked over the head with it. Like it's a much more gross, aggressive take, but when, you know, like you see these white men doing it to each other, it's like, well, you know, it's like they dial it back. Yeah. The rhetoric is different. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's that way in, yeah, I think it's always that way. There's always yeah. different terminology. Like I was thinking about, um, the whole thing I mentioned about Tarrant was a was an was an immigrant himself, but I'm sure he would have never like we don't call white folks immigrants, right? Like when white folks go live abroad, like when I was overseas, white folks are called expats. What expatriate expats? Yeah, I've never expatriates. heard that. It's like a term that that is used for um, you know, like if you have yeah, just like somebody from the U.S. that moves to Kenya. To live there, they they migrated, but they don't. They're never called immigrants. They're an expat. They live in they live in a different country. Expats. Like there's always different terminology right around like when white folks do something versus like when other people do something. Right. Um. So, anyways, that was a little bit of a bunny trail, but um, but yeah, and that's why. And I know we're. I know I'm not not at all the first person to bring this up, but that's why. You know, like at the beginning of this podcast, I used the word like "let's talk about white terrorism," right? It's I like want to hear that. that I want to hear that so bad in media, right? I want to hear those words so bad. Like I was, I was thinking about this, and I got like all riled up just when I was like kind of taking some notes and stuff right before you called, right? It's like the U.S. has all this terminology about things, you know, like like white folks are always, in the U.S. are always wanting to talk about like. Black on black crime, quote unquote, which isn't even a thing, which, you know, we'll get into in another podcast or, you know, Islamic terrorism or, you know, Mexican invaders. And I'm like, if you want to talk about invaders, if you want to talk about terrorism, like what about like hundreds of years of white Christian male invasion and murder and terrorism around the whole freaking world? Right, like colonization, enslavement of Africans, U.S. apartheid, KKK, Jim Crow, lynchings, all the way up to today, police brutality, mass incarceration, mass shootings. Who was behind all that in history and who is behind all that today? Primarily white male Christians. (laughs) But we don't. 
right? Like we don't, that's not a thing. We don't talk about white terrorists. And, And I'm not sitting here, like, I don't think profiling people, I mean, I think that's always dangerous. You know, I always hesitate to do, there's always a dangerous element to like, you know, creating a profile of a a certain type of person. Exactly. So I'm not saying, you know, all white Christian males are terrorists or are are colonizers or what I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. No more than all black people are criminals and thugs. Right. Or aggressive. Same difference. Right. But why isn't there that terminology and that rhetoric? Yeah. If we're going to do it here, why don't we do it there? Yeah. If we're, if we're going to try to dig into why certain extreme, you know, elements of, of um, Muslim folks, you know, commit this or that, then, or yeah, whatever. Why aren't we digging into what, this profile that we see over and over in mass shootings or police brutality or, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to acknowledge that. And that's not something you know, this is the, the, (laughs) the whole, you know, Islamic terrorism, quote unquote, you know, conversation in this country essentially started around 9-11, which was not that long ago. Right. Whereas, you know, the things I mentioned that white male Christians have done, not just in this country, but worldwide has been going on for centuries, centuries. Right. So when we're talking about like, a time span that's been going on for a bazillion years longer, right. Than, than any sort of, any sort of, um, extreme acts by Muslims. And so, but yeah, but it's like, we don't have rhetoric around that. Or, you know, if you say white male Christian terrorism, people clutch their pearls, right? Like, (gasps) like think you're a racist or, you know, what are you talking about? What do you even mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, that's a thing. Absolutely. That's a thing. I mean, absolutely. There is no question about that. You can't question that. There is no question about that. None. Negative. But it's always <laughs> minimized. It's always dismissed. You know, and, and again, I know this isn't saying anything new, but with these mass shootings, you know, it's always like they're a lone wolf or they're, you know, had mental health issues. Well, obviously, but it's like, there's always someone yeah. to dismiss. <laughs> like, but, no but, shit. <laughs> right? Like, really, Captain Obvious? But it's like, there's always this way to dismiss um, these folks from the broader context of how they became radicalized. Or, or you know what I'm saying? Like, the broader societal elements, white supremacy, xenophobia, alt-right you know, all these connections that people like Tarrant or people like Dylan Roof or, um, I mean, these blatant connections that these folks have. I mean, it's so blatant. Like Tarrant had all these symbols and words connecting um, himself to like something he had written on his guns. He had all these symbols written on his guns and it connected him to, um, you know, like, things that Hitler had written and all these different, like to these alt-right websites. I mean, there's all these, like, it's not even like you have to read into it. It's like soup. It's like right there. It's super obvious. 
Right? Look, he, I he ask the you, damn yeah, I ask symbols you, on his guns. Sorry, I want to ask you. No, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. I, I actually want to know. I'm not doing this to one of those things where I like. I just want you to talk about it on the podcast. I will to ask you a question. Okay. Um, with these white male shooters and these white male extremists, I personally have seen a consistent theme. And correct me if I'm wrong because I have not researched this. This is just based off loose observation. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so emphasis on a loose. <laughs> loose observation. Okay. When I see these guys, whether it's on the news or any protest, uh, whatever it is, it's always just white men. Yeah. I'll see maybe like a white woman sprinkled in there here and there. Sprinkled. You know. <laughs> But it's a bunch of white dudes who appear to me like they can't deal with anything. Like they can't deal with society. You hear a lot of these like male shooters, white male shooters complaining about women or yeah. like the lack thereof in their life. Like the incels, which I'm not super familiar with, whatever that group is. Yeah, or like, um, I couldn't get a girlfriend. Yeah, or couldn't get laid. I can't. Yeah, I can't get laid. Women yeah. don't like me. Yeah, so I'm gonna go kill a bunch of people. So I'll show them. Yeah. No, you you've hit on exactly. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, is you've if, hit the nail is on the this head. really it's what this is? Y'all can't. Not y'all. All of you. Okay. <laughs> These guys, I'm like, you guys yeah. can't deal with anything. Is that what this is? Is that what this fucking is? It is. You can't deal with is. anything. Well, no, but 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 that's <laughs> created. Okay, so what that is, right? It's entitlement. Because when you feel entitled to something, right, you feel like you deserve that. Then you feel like you can take that. However, you need to go to whatever links to take that, because it should be yours, right? So it's entitlement, but it's entitlement that I believe comes directly, di, quote me, capital letters, directly <laughs> from this toxic concoction of white supremacy and the entitlement that that fosters and patriarchy and sexism. So white males are at the top of the food chain or perceiving themselves to be at the top of the food chain. Thank you for clarifying racially. that. <laughs> What's that? I said, thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> racially, right? Because they're white. <laughs> and then, and then gender because they're male. So they, they, everything around them in society tells them they are superior, that they are entitled to, to a certain kind of life they're entitled to women right and these aren't necessarily always explicit messages right very covert often not always but right when you're fed a diet of that from the womb <laughs> let me use that phrase again mm -hmm. <laughs> Ma. <laughs> mom it's mine it's all mine <laughs> right like this all this shit is mine these women should be mine. The wealth should be mine. The land should be mine. I mean, 
that's the whole premise of white supremacy, right? Is I'm white. And so I'm supreme and I should be entitled to kill people, to take their land, to do whatever I want, to get what I believe is rightfully mine. And so I think when you add that with sexism and patriarchy and the the entitlement, so that's why you see, right, this whole like I can't get laid or I can't get a girlfriend and I'm enraged. And I'm like, you're now shooting people because of that. Because they feel entitled to that. That is bananas. They, but 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 that's been. You don't just see that. Okay, let's let's throw this out there. You don't just see that with white men, right? If we're just looking at sexism and patriarchy outside of the white supremacy, that's been throughout history, and still happens today. Like you see men who kill, right? They get rejected. Talk Somebody about breaks it. up with them, Talk and they go kill it. them. They go kill their their ex partner. Like, and this, I don't know if it happens less now than it used to, but I remember. I don't even remember what I was researching. I'm always researching shit, so who knows? But this is a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Researching maybe like fifty, uh, fifty to seventy years ago in the U.S. Oh, oh, oh! I know what it was. Somebody, this white male, told me was talking about how in the 1950s. People were more polite. And I was like, motherfucker, shut the fuck up. <laughs> what? Like, what, what are you even during Jim Crow? Like, what are you even talking about? Well, I guess that was before Jim Crow. But uh, he, because he was, because oh, it was in, it was in connection to a conversation about mass shootings. Because he said people would go, people carried guns, they would um, all the time, but there weren't mass shootings like we see today. And I was like, lies, lies, lies. I know this is a lie. So I started researching it and coming across. All of these shootings, some of them were mass shootings, but a lot of them were white man goes to the schoolhouse and kills teacher who rejected his proposal. A bunch like that. (laughs) That was like a bunch of them. So anyways, um, I'm totally off track here. No, but I think. Okay, go ahead. You know where you are then. So I think this, you know, you already get that entitlement. I mean, that's what's behind rape. Right. Like men who feel entitled to a woman's body, men who feel entitled to being in control. Right. This. Yeah. This whole like entitlement mindset and this X, Y or Z belongs to me. Um, I mean, you saw this in like in my study of South Africa, there was all this rhetoric and in the U.S. Right. But in South Africa, there was this rhetoric for the the colonizers um that they were the people of the soil and therefore the land belonged to them like that was their justification for killing all the indigenous folks right we we are entitled to this land <laughs> and so we'll go to whatever links we need to go to yeah. justified to get this land um manifest destiny in the US yeah god has given us this land god so we, who's going to argue with that? God's given us this land. So, so the sense of entitlement. Um, and so when I, so I think, again, you see this entitlement behind sexism and patriarchy, and then you see this entitlement behind white supremacy. So then when you add both of those together, it culminates in the white male. <laughs> um, 
And I think that that's just a toxic concoction for, you know, for, for so many white men. Right. And, and, you know, we've talked about this before, I think on a, on a, a previous podcast, how like in my conversations around racism, white men tend to be the most stubborn. They tend to be um, the ones that are hardest to get through to over and over and over again. And I think it's because they have, oh, we talked about this when we were talking about intersectionality, right? These levels of all these layers of blinders, right? The blinders of their male privilege, the blinders of their um, white privilege. If they're Christian, the blinders of their Christian privilege in this country, right? All these layers of privilege and with privilege comes added often, most often, most of the time, attitudes of entitlement, right? Like you see this with spoiled kids, (laughs) right? Spoiled kids, you give them what they want too often or, or they have access to, to too much. Oh, they're overprivileged and they come to think that like, that's what they're entitled to. Um, yeah. and I think of, I think about the phrase, um, <laughs> you heard the phrase, um, God, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. No, I've never heard that. I've heard things <laughs> like that. Like I heard Dave Chappelle talk about, um, a, a rich black guy ran into a homeless white guy and offered to trade places with him. And the homeless white guy said, no, I'm going to ride out this white thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so bad. Um, so let me say this because I want to make sure I'm, I'm adding some, some, um, clarity to, cause we're, 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 we're covering a lot of information <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. And you, you jump in here wherever you want. Cause I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, but so when, when we're talking about, or when we're, or I'm mentioning, or I'm talking about these white men and these issues, um, I'm trying to say, I see all kind of different levels of it. Yes. Okay. So I don't want to say that I'm blanketing all white men as extremists, but no. I do believe um, white males, white people obviously have this layer of what's the word? That uh, Th- they fall somewhere on the spectrum. There's somewhere on the spectrum where you are not getting all the information. Right. And that's because of society and white supremacy and things we talk about on this podcast. Because, like, I've seen it and I, where I, in the past, have met, like, this is just another layer of it or a level. Um, white guys who had trouble getting women. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, dates and shit. Right. And I've seen their rhetoric change more to... Um, aggressive it's aggressive but it's not violent it's 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 like well you know that's how women are or you know women this and you you kind of yeah. hear it i'm like you hear it turn a little yeah. bit and you know, i'm like is it women or is it you or is it you <laughs> are you a dick <laughs> 
or are you socially awkward? Okay, but I won't. But I'll also say also say this. Um, women. Now go. Don't don't punch me here. Okay, so I'm. <laughs> <laughs> you're lucky so, some no, women can be hard to deal with, and it's hard to deal with women. I won't even say women. It's hard to deal with people if you aren't. You know. If you don't have a level of confidence and you don't know how to talk to people, I think like normal shit evolves into weird shit and <laughs> <laughs> becomes like other things like, oh, well, you know, these weird stereotypes are women, you know, or is it just people are different? People are diverse. People are complicated. Getting to learn how to talk to people is all a process. Yeah, I think there's that. You know, and I'm sure there's all the other stuff playing into it, obviously. Um, I think there's... Oh, go ahead. Go well, ahead. I'm just saying, it's just, from my experience, I see a lot of normal shit, like I just said, get turned into weird shit. Right. The more people get frustrated or yeah. the more rejection they face. I'm like, yo, because I've done it myself where I've overcomplicated something that was simple because I was frustrated. And then yeah. it's kind of hard to admit, like, I was overreacting. Nobody likes to be rejected. I mean, that's another one of those like things that brings out our sometimes our worst of human emotions and human. It's tough to deal behavior. with. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough for everyone to deal with. Um, you don't go shoot up people because you can't reject it, right? Yo, right? that's not the way, right? <laughs> but I think like to kind of go back to what we defined about xenophobia at the very beginning, right? That it may relate to identity, a fear of losing something. Um, I think, yeah, that, that ties into this notion of entitlement that, 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 sorry, I keep bringing that up. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but it's like, if you feel entitled to something, not having that thing feels like a loss, right? right. So if you, yeah, feel entitled to a relationship or this or that or the other, you don't have to have it and lose it for it to feel like a loss. It can feel like a loss because you never had it to begin with. And I think, you know, like you're saying, talking about men being rejected and that turning into something weird. Because you don't see women. I mean, you might see women. I've watched a lot of crime shows. I guess you might see women occasionally in these. I don't know the statistics on this. Like commit, you know, like put a hit out on their husband. Like if their husband cheats. Mm -hmm. Like in the case of infidelity. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I think you have that occasionally. But I don't think the prevalence of that versus like what we're talking about, like men being rejected by a, a significant other or killing people. Cause they, they can't get a girlfriend. I've not, I've not seen ever heard of a case of a woman doing that. I'm sure it exists right. somewhere out there, and, but there's a different level, right? right. Of like men enacting that violence on women because they can't get sex or get a girlfriend or they get rejected versus women doing that. Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> well, I don't know, but I want to ask you, um, hopefully it'll come back to you. Um, why do you think Leah, you, we don't see more black male 
mass shooters? Why don't we see more mm. female mass shooters? Why is that, Leah? What do you think? <laughs> Why do you have to ask it in such a patronizing way? I'm sorry. Matt? Let me answer. <laughs> I feel like you already have an answer to, to this question that you want to share. My opinion. Right? Why don't you share? Is we're always dealing with shit. Okay, I, we don't going. feel entitled to anything. That's been my experience. I don't feel entitled to anything. I feel right. entitled to nothing. Right. Because <laughs> you've had to fight for every damn thing, like claw your way. Nothing's mine. that you've ever had <laughs> in this country. Or no. even just to survive, to exist. Nothing's mine. Everything I have, I had to go out and get. You yeah. know? So yeah. I, I, I literally think it may be somewhat that simple is these other groups, when I say that, I mean black people, women, we deal with shit. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying all white people can't deal with it. No. Okay. But we don't, but you're saying. But why like, don't you see it? color and women don't have that level of entitlement that is often developed in white men. My country. You know what, Leah? I kind of don't feel like this is my country sometimes. Yeah. I, you don't ever hear black people say that in my experience, like my country, my land. I'm like, yeah, no. Um. Well, and, and okay, think about this. You know, I'm big on language, right? Yeah. How many people correlate the word American with white? American is white. I get, I hear this all the fucking time, and people don't even realize they're doing it. Like how, obvi- say, how obvious is it, right? <laughs> like I'm mixed race or or people will talk about other mixed race people and be like, oh, they're half Chinese, half American. Yeah, you're Chinese American. American. White. We all know that in this country, like to be fully American, you can never be, quote unquote, be seen as fully American. No, if you're not white, you're not because why fucking fact the fucking evidence. And why are we cussing so much? <laughs> The motherfucking fucking fuck evidence (laughs) is right there in front of your face like you just said. African-American, Chinese-American, mixed-race American. Right. When was the last time you heard white American? People, yeah, exactly. You never heard it. Right. But that's but, but but what people mean when they say American is they mean white. Yes. Like that. That's just that's what they mean. And that, again, goes to that entitlement. Right. This is white people's land. Again, that manifest destiny shit. God gave us this land. It was the same. Like I said, same rhetoric white people use in South Africa to commit genocide and take over. Right. This is our land. And then there's these other people these migrants that are invading quote unquote our land and taking quote unquote our jobs right everything's ours yeah you hear it as white people you hear it don't you you hear it it's so everywhere our jobs everything's ours 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 meaning white people and entitlement i rest my case you're being right i'm looking for a mic i'm looking for a mic to drop i don't have it I'll I tip my mic the over if it didn't make a fell. mess. <laughs> this, this what do they say? This courtroom is adjourned. This courtroom is a, <laughs> I don't even know if that's I the need right a gavel. Analogy. I need a gavel. Can you can you hear this? 
thank you. <laughs> thank you. Tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in to The Grip. <laughs> Roll credits. Podcast shuffle. <laughs> or uh, playlist shuffle. <laughs> Oh my God, you're nuts! <laughs> hey, let me do this because uh, that's that's an excellent stopping point. That's, that's you're like you're joking about stopping, but let's actually stop. I mean, yeah, we're just over an hour. That's a great stopping point. Um, let me say this real quick. I actually want to say two things to you that I wrote down here. Um, you're not big into comic book movies, right? Or comics at all? That's not your thing. No, I'm not. Okay. Sorry. Have you heard anything about Captain Marvel? Like, have you read, um, heard any kind of comment, like anything? No. Okay. Not so really. um, that's that's. Let's wait. Is that the new movie that's out? Yeah the the female superhero. Yes. Okay. I've heard a little bit about it. Okay. So I don't know if you saw one of my posts about it, where people were upset about it, or some people were upset about it being feminist. And I was like, yo, if if you consider a female driven movie, um, dealing with just whatever shit oh women deal gosh. with is feminist, I think you're an idiot. Or just having a, a female lead character. It's feminist. I'm like, yo, you're an idiot. I'm not talking oh. to you. But that wasn't even the point I wanted to make because I already made that point on, on Facebook. Um, the there's they deal with xenophobia in that movie. I don't want to oh, give out any really? spoilers in the movie, but that is like the main plot outside of her being a female super that they deal with in that movie. Yeah, and. I thought that was hilarious, and it's kind of funny to hear some people talk about the movie, and they didn't even catch that. I was like, yo, were we watching the same movie? They're like, what? I'm like, you didn't see that? But then that, I guess, goes to you know people's perception and all that other stuff that goes into it. But um, yeah, maybe I'll have to watch it now. Actually, you know what? Dangled that, <laughs> that you, little tidbit. <laughs> okay, so spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen Captain Marvel, you know, maybe fast forward through this. Um, if you don't want to hear it, but that's basically what it is. It's a race of of aliens, and I don't laugh. Okay, like I said, this is my jam. It's my bullshit. Um, it's a race of aliens who demonize another race, and you're going through the whole movie basically thinking that the uh, alien race B are the bad guys, and they're attacking them, and they're chasing them, and they're killing them. But at the end of the movie, you find out race B were actually the good guys. They were fleeing and protecting themselves from alien race A. Okay. And they were demonizing. They're violent. They're evil. They're monsters. They're animals. They have different color skin. Their ears are pointy. And that's like what's happening in the movie. And it's actually very sad. And I actually teared up at one point because they show one of the alien race B's family and their child. And it was, I was like, that's, you know, reality. <laughs> I'm Aliens like, are no, uh, the, I'm the kidding. issues. No, 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 no. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Never mind. no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. No, you go. No, well, you I was go. Gonna say, <laughs> no, you. I insist. <laughs> okay, I'll go. <laughs> Before you even brought up the alien thing, when you very first started talking about this movie you're talking about, it reminded me of um, this sci fi film that's based in south africa that has kind of the same it's called district nine yeah that's a really good movie and that's a it's it does it not talk about this 
it's dealing with xenophobe. It's the same, it's the same kind same of thing. thing. Like these aliens, this like spaceship hovers over Johannesburg, and then these like you know aliens are come out of this like spaceship or whatever, and they're demonized and they're put into an internment camp. And blah, blah, blah. There's all this fear and this xenophobia. And then you realize, like, oh, the symbolism is that the aliens, quote unquote, represent what white South Africa did to black South Africans. Yeah. I mean, it's this very sim- symbolic, but it's very powerful. I think it's like taking that, you know, instead of something just being so blatantly obvious, it's like you kind of get into the story before you realize, like, what yeah. it symbolizes. And then you're like, oh, damn. That's that's so true. That's that's what happened, you know. Exactly. So yeah, I'll have to check that out. And that's one of the things that I love about entertainment, and that's one of the things I seek to do with um, my production company is to educate people through entertainment. And I'm, I'm trying to think about possible subtle ways to do that, and I think that's where you get into using aliens and science fiction, and because you can capture right. people's imagination, and then you punch them in the face, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're totally unsuspecting. <laughs> and then you, then you hit them. Bam. You know? Oh. Laid out. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things that I, that I love about entertainment. And that's why I'm so big into comics and movies. Because there are a lot of, in my opinion, you know, undertones and racial undertones and, and feminist undertones in these comics. It, it just speaks to me. Um, that's awesome. So the second thing I want to say to you before we wrap up here is um, just about the podcast. Um, I, I have I've had people come up to me within the last week, talk to me about uh, specific topics we've talked about. I'm being very vague here, obviously, <laughs> um, and like going nuts because they're like, "You guys just talked about this." this thing and um i don't want to say too much because i don't want to put them on the spot um or embarrass them uh but they were talking to me about um what what could i say it was i'll say with the it was the racial fetish episode oh okay okay and they were experiencing you know someone talking about that exactly how we were talking about how they talk about it like you mean, um the you mean they had that happen to them where they were being fetishized no, they were talking about fetishizing a person oh, and oh, having oh. a mixed race child because oh. I want a mixed race child. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us run. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so they so were they just saw it like playing out in front of they them. literally like it was unfold. They're like, holy shit. I just like heard I about just this. heard about this. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> you know? Interesting. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting out there. I'm going to. I'm going to try to do some more press for us. I'm actually going to reach out to some newspapers and some things and some media here in Dallas. I actually tried to do it in Chicago too and okay. see if I can spread, you know, the podcast. And uh, I want to do a live podcast like at a college somewhere. Oh. Like on stage and we could do it from an audience. And this is probably a conversation we could have off the podcast, but I'm just talking. So sorry, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, if we could do that, Let's you people that. could come, you know, and interact with us and and shit. And I, I would love that. So I'm, I just want you to, that's that's on that's on my mind, and I'm trying to figure out how to do that. I've actually been to one of those before. Yeah. I didn't really think about that till now. I think it was a podcast recording, and it was super cool. Yeah, 
You yeah. just do it in, I don't know, a college classroom or auditorium or somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I'm That'd looking. Be really awesome. I'm looking into that. It's shit. If you find that or something like that in Chicago, um, I got a lot of family out there, and it, it's nothing for me to get out there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you know whatever. So. Yeah. Let's talk more about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah, I guess that's it. I, um, I really enjoyed this podcast, and I think we talked about some things. Some things. Some things. <laughs> <laughs> so. I enjoyed it as well. We'll yeah. chat again soon. Okay. Talk to you in Tune a bit. Tune in next week. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Whoa. Okay. So... Uh, playlist shuffle. We're gonna take us out, and you guys have a great weekend. Safe travels. Uh, please share the podcast. Um, repost it on your on your uh, social media. I'm actually gonna start doing giveaways of like money, um, or gift cards for people who repost the podcast. Uh, we're gonna put you into a drawing to win like a fifty or sixty dollar. Um, like gift card to Amazon or something or rating us on iTunes because we, we need to keep growing this podcast because I don't hear any other podcast or people talking about what we talk about and it's important and I need it to spread. So thank you very much for listening and tuning in and I'm going to go to one of my playlists right now. I'm almost there. One more second. Shuffle. Love this song. They say what's happening. We say the facts and then they lie. We coming back for them. They might say, but they don't know. They say, they say. I'm the black pill in the matrix of saturated life They say life is what you make it So I wait quick on a spaceship so I can take it It's high as the stakes get when paper get low I be telling Derek, tell Kara, get us a show Little calm, I make righteous bitches get low The richest man ain't necessarily the nigga with dope They say you went wild, yeah that's what they say My niggas couldn't tell it was me like Jamie and Ray Painting the day with focus grind, broads and good wine They say dope is sour so it's homework and hood crimes I stood mine for forever and a day, so goodbye. They never can say, tell them, Jay. They say what's happening. We say the facts and then they lie. We coming back for them. They might say, but they don't know. They say, they say. With this beat, fuck you respect. I've got a history. Poopy love now, gotta be them wheels. Haters back down, gotta be that steel. I know they can't wait till you're out of your deal. Look how they did D'Angelo, ask them how do it feel. My best friends worry about me, cause they know when you famous and you have made cash, the media ain't.